The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. We're continuing our conversation about America in revolt. Following the police killings of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, numerous cities have erupted in mass protests. There are many searing images coming out this week. There's the videos of the killings of Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd that were captured on cell phone videos. And most recently, there's the image of American troops and police firing on peaceful protesters in Washington, D.C. to clear the way for President Trump to stage a photo op in front of a church. To talk about the rights that are on the line, we're joined by uh, James Lyle. He is the executive director of the Vermont chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. And uh, in the interest of disclosure, I am a board member of the Vermont ACLU. Um, James Lyle, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on. Um, There is a famous quote attributed to Huey Long, uh, the senator from Louisiana, that uh, goes, fascism will come to America wrapped in an American flag. Do you worry about that? Um, Well, yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the quote also is that wrapped in an American flag and clutching a Bible uh, is is the quote. (laughs) Thank you for the correction. Um, which I think is especially apropos after the uh, publicity stunt photo op um, that we saw uh, Donald Trump uh, perform a couple of nights ago. Um, So, I mean, yeah, obviously it is deeply concerning, disturbing, uh, troubling to see um, the events uh, in the nation's capital uh, in particular, but, you know, around the country as well, um, the militarized police response to widespread protests uh, has had uh, just endless images uh, of, of brutality, the images of, of soldiers on the Lincoln Memorial is the, is the latest one that's just kind of seared in the public imagination right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, what can I say that that quote is, is definitely relevant. And, um, you know, this is not something that we can accept. Um, this is absolutely not a time uh, for despair. Uh, It is time for everyone who cares about this to speak out, to protest, uh, to demand change, uh, to support the individuals and organizations that are fighting on the front lines, to know your rights, uh, and really to pull out all the stops. um, I mean, we're in in a moment where we both have to defend the country and its institutions to some extent um, from um, just a descent into martial law. Uh, But at the same time, we have to fundamentally reform and change those institutions that that are at the root of these protests and these uprisings. What concerns you the most? How perilous a moment do you think we are in right now? 
I guess it depends what you're talking about. Um, I, I, I do think it's important to uh, to remember what this moment is at bottom about, and this is a, is about a response to police brutality and the, the murders of black people in this country that have gone on and on and on, the racialized violence, the systemic racism and white supremacy that this country was founded on and continues to be woven into its fabric. That's what this is about. That's what is, is, is really, um, I think, needs to remain front and center when, when we think about uh, th- what's happening in this moment and, and how we respond. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, at, at the same time that we need to uh, be fighting to defend uh, the separation of powers, constitutional rights, uh, human rights, uh, the right to protest, uh, the f- freedom of the press. These are all critical uh, principles and values and laws that, that we cherish in this country. Um, but we also need to demand much, much more of this country um, than, than, uh, than communities of color in particular and the black community in particular has, has seen. Um, you know, it, this is not anything new. We've seen this too many times, and the response um, has never been adequate. I mean, so there's another quote that you've been hearing a lot. There's the Huey Long quote, uh, of course. Um, But there's also the Martin Luther King quote, and, you know, the the riot is the language of the unheard. Um, But what you don't hear in the rest of the quote, uh, you know, he goes on to say, you know, what is it that America has failed to hear time and time again, and has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity. Um, And that is, to me, what we must not lose sight of. Um, I mean, obviously we're concerned about um, the Trump administration and uh, its response to these protests. Um, But but again, I, I also don't want to lose sight of what is behind these protests and why they are so important. So the ACLU is uh, involved on a very practical, uh, hands-on level in uh, the work of defending civil liberties. What are, uh, and, and so I certain th- uh, I see that the ACLU in Minnesota has filed suit for uh, regarding um, the violation of First Amendment rights, the attacks on journalists, um, what are some of the civil liberties issues that are coming up right now in this week? Yeah, um, well, uh, I mean, the fact that we've seen protests that are about police brutality being met by overwhelming examples of police brutality around the country um, go to you know one of the core civil liberties issues. Uh, that, you know, that the ACLU has been working on for forever, and that's police accountability. Um, I mean, we've been talking for a long time about the need to demilitarize uh, uh, police uh, departments around the country. Um, that that has been very much obviously on display, whether it's attacks on peaceful protesters or on journalists. Um, police militarization has been a, a, a major uh, concern of ours for, for a long time. Um, and that is playing out um, today in a major way. I mean, it's just—it's so obvious um, that po- 
police reforms need to go so much further than they have. Whether you're talking about basic accountability and civilian oversight of local police, whether you're talking about the absurd standards, that legal standards and court precedents that protect officers over and over again from accountability, that may protect the officers um, who killed George Floyd from accountability. Um, that all needs to change. Um, I think there's also a conversation that's opening up now, um, somewhat overdue, about the need to minimize policing in America, to defund and, and um, divest from policing and divert those resources into more institutions and services that actually do keep people safe uh, and, and healthy. Um, so, I mean, that is everything around policing is obviously front and center, and that is a, a major issue uh, that the ACLU and, and many others continue to, to push on uh, in Vermont and around the country. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's attacks on the press or on protesters, obviously that implicates First Amendment freedoms. We've seen countless examples of attacks on, on First Amendment rights. Um, that's obviously something that is always concerning to us, and I did see that the Minnesota ACLU just filed suit, uh, I think, yesterday or today um, about some of the, the violations that they've seen in that state. Um, but we've seen, we've seen these attacks all over the country on a, on a truly unprecedented scale. Well, let's talk about Vermont. Um, a study was done just a few years ago showing that blacks are up to four times more likely to be stopped in traffic stops, Hispanics three times more likely uh, to be stopped than whites. Uh, and yet in terms of in, in just 10% of those searches uh, and traffic stops resulted in, in you know searches for heroin, cocaine, opioids, the all of that was only found in the cars of white drivers. None were found in the searches of black and Hispanic drivers. This was in 2016. And then just last month, a black man in Vermont told police he was threatened and told to leave the state by a white man. Um, and, of course, we heard that Governor Scott later reached out to that individual, um, you know, to tell them that he was welcome here. Uh, what are the issues... Uh, sort of top of mind here in Vermont as relate to the issues that we're seeing uh, front and center nationally, police brutality and racism. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I think it's really important to point out that Vermont is not separate and apart from the rest of the country uh, when it comes to racialized policing, uh, racialized police violence, uh, and racial disparities. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of leaders in the state recognize that. And, it's, and, and there has been uh, some progress to address those things, uh, particularly in recent years. Um, the ACLU was just uh, uh, named to the uh, a new task force on racial equity uh, headed by uh, Susanna Davis um, with the Scott administration. Um, there has been legislation to, you know, police in Vermont have started collecting, you know, for several years ago began collecting data to uh, get at the sources of these uh, very pronounced racial disparities, uh, which you know, unfortunately still continue. They, they've they've been uh, reduced somewhat, but they are still um, there uh, statewide. Um, and so it's not to say nobody is aware of these things or uh, not not working on these things, but we still see so much more that needs to be done, and not enough being done, and not enough urgency, frankly. 
Um, I mean, we are still talking about some of the worst racial disparities in, in the country in Vermont's criminal justice system. And, you know, we're working on legislation, sweeping criminal justice legislation. We're still getting opposition to collecting robust uh, demographic data to be able to pinpoint and remedy these racial disparities. We still have uh, state's attorneys who don't want to collect that data. Uh, we still have law enforcement who don't want to change the use of force standard uh, it, to, to make it less likely that police are going to use lethal force, which we see happening more and more year after year, going back decades in Vermont. Um, so th there's just a lot more that needs to be done. And all too often we see um, opposition from law enforcement, from state's attorneys, uh, from public officials, or at least not enough sense of urgency, too much willingness to, to talk about it, to study the issue, to think about it, but not to invest resources uh, or, or change the laws in ways that will, that will result in, in meaningfully different outcomes for communities of color and black communities in, in the state. You're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're talking this half hour with James Lyle. He's the executive director of the Vermont chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, the, I know that the uh, ACLU of Vermont has been uh, pushing a, the Smart Justice campaign in effort to dramatically reduce the prison population. And uh, lo and behold, in uh, the wake of COVID-19, we learn that the Vermont's prison population has dropped uh, 17% since January. Um, and for years, we've been told, no, it's really not possible to, to be lowering the numbers. What has happened? Um, that's exactly right, David. It's actually, um, it's down, I believe, 17% uh, since January. The state prison population is down more than 20% uh, at its lowest point since uh, last July. Um, and then if you look back um, a bit further to sort of the peak when Vermont hit its peak population about a decade ago, we have now reduced the prison population from that high point by almost about 40%. When the ACLU launched a Smart Justice Vermont campaign two years ago, we said we wanted to cut it by cut the population by at least 50% to start. And and you're absolutely right. We we were told that that was unrealistic. I, I believe multiple. DOC commissioners went on Vermont Edition to, to announce that th those goals were completely unrealistic. It could never happen. Um, and now here we are, 40% down from where, where we were a decade ago. Um, and largely by doing the kinds of things that we have said all along could and should be done, being smarter about who we're putting in prison, why, and for how long. Uh, and the fact is there's still a lot more that we could do to be even smarter. Um, what has happened in the last few months in particular is new prison admissions have been substantially limited. So police prosecutors uh, have thought more carefully about who really needs to be incarcerated as a matter of public safety, and it turns out not nearly as many people, uh, roughly 25% fewer people being uh, uh, referred to uh, our prison system by state's attorneys, again, doing things that we've been calling for for years. Um, and then on the other end of things, Department of Corrections not revoking people from community supervision like furlough, uh, probation, parole. Folks are not being returned to prison for minor violations as much as they were before. That is, again, something that we have been calling for for a long time. That is an issue uh, 
Um, Vermont's overly punitive community supervision system, uh, reforming that has been at the core of a criminal justice reform push in the legislature this year, the justice reinvestment process. Um, And so, um, you know, Vermont is making tremendous progress. The the question is, are we going to learn the lessons of, you know, the COVID-19 era? uh, And are we going to recognize that we can still be doing more? I mean, there's still much from the Scott administration has refused to consider people who are past their minimum sentence, some of whom may be nearing release anyway, has refused to look at large numbers of people who could be released from prison to reduce the, the threat of an outbreak and the public health threat that that poses to all of us. Um, uh, there's been a, continues to be a lot of resistance to sentencing reform to, to lower the extreme and excessive sentences that have been imposed over the years. So there's still a lot more that we could do um, to truly invest in people over prisons and, and, and transform our criminal justice system further. But there's no question that a lot has been done and that there are lessons to be learned. Hmm. Uh, I also want to point out there's an excellent uh, cover story in um, Seven Days This Week by Paul Heinz called Justice Served, which looks at the reduction in the number of prisons, in the prison population and some of the factors behind that. Um, you know, one of the really uh, striking uh, pieces of data out of that story uh, is that three-quarters of admissions to Vermont's prisons um, were, uh, well, I should say three-quarters of those on furlough who were returned to prison committed only a technical violation, sometimes through no fault of their own, well, just 22% committed new uh, crimes. Um, I think that is probably pretty surprising to people, that less than one-fourth of the people going to jail are for new crimes. That's right. And, and I mean, if you look at revocations um, of community supervision, Vermont actually had statistically the, the highest rate of revocations, you know, the most punitive system in the country. And that was definitely a surprise. I don't know whether or not that was actually a surprise to DOC. They certainly hadn't drawn attention to that fact previously until the data showed that this was happening. And that was a surprise to a lot of people, partly because the data is never there. Uh, the Department of Corrections does not systematically collect and report data in the way that other systems in other states do. Um, this has been a perennial problem. Um, and, you know, as to community supervision, um, I mean, I was saying DOC is revoking people less during uh, this pandemic. Um, but in this legislation that is now, you know, currently in uh, the legislature, they're opposing provisions that would increase due process protections for people who are being revoked from community supervision and returned to prison. As you point out, in, in many cases, not for committing a crime uh, at all. Uh, and DOC, you know, as of today, is opposing giving those people any meaningful due process protections, including if DOC revokes them in violation of DOC's own standards, they still don't want to provide any kind of court review or due process for those people, which is really antithetical to the, to the, the spirit of the entire uh, piece of legislation. And I think it you know, says a lot about how committed um, uh, at least some parts uh, of, of the system are to reform. Um, the fact, as I say, we've done a lot, but we have a lot more to do uh, and, and much more to do to, to build a, a truly smarter criminal justice system in Vermont. 
to the degree that some good can come of the, you know, the the uprising that we're seeing around the country, the protests we're seeing in Vermont. What do you want to redouble your efforts on uh, in the months ahead? Um, well, I mean, as I say, this is this is a time where we really need to be pulling out all the stops. There are openings for people to push for and demand change, and we have got to do that. Um, uh, at the same time, I, I, I think a lot of what we are calling for are things that we have been calling for for some time and will continue calling for. I mean, we're talking about uh, respect for the rule of law, for for freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press. I mean, these these are core principles that we have that the ACLU and our partners work to defend every day. Um, we just really have to double down now at a time when they are under particular. Uh, threat. Uh, I mean, we've known that this was coming. We've known all along who Donald Trump is. Um, and uh, the fact is, he is uh, stepping into uh, that role um, that, that we knew he was capable of all along. Um, we have got to respond with everything we have, and that's really, it's on all of us. So as I say, I mean, I, I think there's a, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, people are despairing. People are uh, traumatized. Um, we've been through this, and the black community in particular has been through this too many times for too long, for as long as anyone can remember. Um, so we all have to step up and fight back. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly that's that's what we plan to do, and uh, we're going to continue to put out all the information. All the, it's, As I say, people have to know what their rights are. We're going to continue to distribute Know Your Rights information. We're going to support journalists who are attacked. We're going to support protesters who are attacked. Uh, we're going to keep calling for police reform. We're going to keep calling for racial justice. I mean, another, another piece of legislation that's important to highlight, um, that, again, like going to the, to the root causes of all of, the, all of this uh, – unrest and all of these protests um, is, is racial injustice. And you know, the ACLU is supporting uh, legislation both at the federal level and here in Vermont at the state level um, that would advance a long overdue discussion around reparations uh, for black Americans. Um, in, in Vermont, that bill, H-478, I don't think it's even gotten a hearing in two years. Uh, you know, it's time to have a hearing on that and, and to move that bill forward. Um, so, uh, you know, again, we're going to keep doing what we do, and we just we call on everybody to um, to not accept this, to, to not ex- to not accept, as Martin Luther King said, the status quo, but to demand justice and equality in this country, and that is an ongoing struggle that we are deeply invested in. All right. Well, James Lyle, I want to thank you for joining us again on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me, David. James Lyle is the executive director of the Vermont chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union, and uh, disclosure, I am on the board of the Vermont ACLU. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all shows on our podcast page, vermontconversation.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday at 1 with another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by 
Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.